Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. I invited a friend to be here this weekend, and uh, he, he smiled and said, Doug, you know, the chances of me coming to church are not very good. Uh, see, he's, a, he's an outspoken atheist, and that's, I get a kick out of asking him every week to come to church. It's kind of fun. So I said, so, hey, tell me, you know, what would, what would be the odds? I mean, let's just play the odds. What would be the odds that you might actually come to one of our Easter services? And he smiled. He's a great guy. He smiled, boldly said, about a million to one. And uh, because I'm a big fan of the movie Dumb and Dumber, the classic movie Dumb and Dumber, I said what? <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance. That's right. I can't believe how many of you know that. That's like awesome and sad at the same time. Yeah, so you're telling me there's a chance. I, I gave him a buck. So we'll, we'll see. This would be the last, the last service, see whether I collect or not. Uh, you know, there are people in our world who make a living off of being odds makers. They're called actuaries. And their job is to make sure that casinos make a lot of money and insurance companies don't lose a lot of money. These are people who are very good at figuring out the odds. They're the ones that can tell you that if you're driving a land cruiser, your land cruiser is 38 times more likely to get stolen than if you're driving a Hyundai. Okay? These are the people that would tell you if you're driving a Ford Pinto, it is mathematically impossible <laughs> that that will ever be stolen. You can leave it open. Keys in the ignition, it's a statistical impossibility. These are the people who come up with those weird odds that we've, you know, we've seen on the internet and stuff like that. I listed some. Um, odds that you'll be injured from shaving. 6,855 to 1. Odds of injury from using a chainsaw. 4,464 to 1. Odds of death shaving with a chainsaw. <laughs> pretty good. Okay. Those of you that try to finance your future with buying the California lotteries, uh, the odds of you winning the California lottery are 13 million to one. Now check this out. The odds of you being killed by lightning are only 2,300,000 to one. So track with me. You're going to get killed six times by lightning before you ever win the lottery. Now you say, why talk about all this? Because 2,000 years ago, no one would have ever bet that Jesus would rise from the dead. That death is final. Dead people, historically, stay dead. Okay, Death is the, odd, the odds of a resurrection. You wouldn't even give it odds. It would be trillions and trillions and trillions to one. It would be like me saying, I'm a rooster... And after the service, I'm going to fly to the moon and lay the golden egg. I'm like, hey, roosters don't lay eggs. I know, it's impossible. You'd laugh at that. Friends, today we celebrate the fact that Jesus defeated death. Today we celebrate the impossible. And it is a very, very big deal in the life of those of us who align ourselves with Jesus. 
The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, if you're new here, we put outlines in your bulletins. You can follow along or you can read the, the Bible verses up on the screen. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, it says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, all preaching is useless. Some of you are like, oh, it's pretty much useless anyway. Uh, it, but so is your faith. You might as well worship a cow. Or you might worship the star or the Java god Starbuck. You know, worship something like that because it, it, it doesn't matter. If the, if the resurrection didn't happen, all the apostles were, were liars. And ultimately, if the resurrection didn't happen, then life has no meaning, friends. It has no purpose. If the resurrection didn't happen, then we're just living this short little life that we've got 50, 60, 78 years. You better, you better just live it selfishly for all you can get because if the resurrection didn't happen, that means your life ends at the grave. The stakes are high on this one. And that's why the celebration is so big. That Easter is a day of celebration. Now, there are a lot of people here. Every single service we've had has been just like this. And I don't want to assume that with this many people here that you share my values, that you share my passion and excitement for the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, there may be people here, you, you came out of, um, out of obligation, that you're, you're dating someone or you're connected to some family, and like, hey, this is what we're doing, and you're here going, what am I doing here? You're here out of obligation. Maybe you're here out of invitation. That a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker invited you. And you said, sure, I'm, I'm curious or I'm interested about Jesus. Or maybe you're out of tradition. A lot of people come to Easter out of tradition. They, they go Christmas and Easter. It's kind of like the faith open house. And, and for whatever reason that you're here, I just got to tell you, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that you're, I'm thrilled that you would give some intellectual assent to who Jesus is and what he might mean in your life. Because here's the deal. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then what he has to say is pretty darn important. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then all of this is just a waste of time. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul was writing to the early Christians about the importance of the resurrection. And it says this in Acts 17, it says, when they had heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. In some of your Bible translations, the word laughed is used. They laughed, they sneered, they turned their nose up. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. See, there will always be a percentage in here who will laugh and sneers. There will be skeptics who the resurrection of Jesus doesn't fit into their, their world view. So they just want to blow it off. Hey, but I believe that there's a lot of interests. I've lived in this community for 30 years. There's a lot of spiritual interests, the conversations I've had. Pe people are interested in Jesus. They're, they're just, here's the deal. They're not afraid of Jesus. They just don't like Christians. Okay? Jesus is interesting. That, but if I align myself with Jesus, will I become like these, these Christians that, that I know? Because Christians are weird. Okay? Not all of them. All right? Not, not us in here. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of weird, weird Christians. And I understand some of the confusion. It's interesting, in the last few weeks, the Bible, the story that's been on TV the last three or four weeks on Sunday night has been one of the top-rated programs in our country. It's interesting to me. Okay? 
Well, what it says is that there's some spiritual interest. There's some hungering. There's some wondering about, about Jesus. But there's also this confusion and fear and doubt. That's why I'm so excited that next week Jeff is starting that series called Christian. What does it really mean to be a Christian? And for those of us who say that we are Christian, how do we move from just being a believer to an actual follower of Jesus? But what I love about Easter is that Easter answers the primary questions that my friends are asking. Like, will Jesus make any difference in my life? Yes, because of the resurrection. I mean, would Jesus, would Jesus influence what happens in my life when I wake up tomorrow? If I commit myself to him, will it really affect me? Yes, because of the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, will it make a difference in my marriage? Yes. In my parenting? Yes. In the marketplace? Yes. With my friends? Yes. In my primary relationships? Yes. All yes because of the resurrection of Jesus. Easter screams Yes. During the first century, the Apostle Paul wanted the early church in Corinth to, to fully understand the importance of the resurrection. He wanted them to get it because everything a believer believes hinges on the resurrection. So in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as First importance. Basically this. Everything I know, this is the most important. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, by the way, according to the scriptures means this. The resurrection is not only the primary event of the New Testament, Jesus on. The resurrection was prophesied in the Old Testament. People were foretold that there would be a Messiah to, to save them. So this is not new news. The new news is the actual resurrection. Okay? The, he wanted them to know the basic historical facts that Jesus really, really died. That he, was, he, he died for the sins of the world. That Jesus was really buried. Dead, day one. Dead, day two. Day three, boom! The resurrection happens. And then here's what's interesting. He goes on in verse 5 to then say the resurrection was on display. And that Jesus appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Not falling asleep like you're falling asleep now. In this way, it's been falling asleep is like dead. All right, and I can't, I don't see anybody dead yet. The service still got a while. Uh, but I've, my preachers never killed anyone, from what I can tell. Uh, but they were, some, had, some were dead. Then, verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to the one abnormally born. Abnormally born just means this. He was being self-effacing, saying, I'm the least of the apostles. I wasn't in the original crew, but Jesus appeared to him, and he's just saying that, you know, I'm, I'm the, the least important. See, Jesus appeared to over 500 people. Now, think about this for a second. 500 people could give proof of the resurrected Jesus. That if you gave each of them 15 minutes to tell their story, and you line their story up back to back to back, these 500 people, at doing it 24 hours a day, it would take a week. A week of, of 
indisputable evidence that this happened. But what's fascinating to me is when we get around this week, you start to get magazines and you start seeing all these cover stories like who was Jesus and did the resurrection happen that really we have the audacity 2,000 years later to try to explain away the power of God and try to explain away that it didn't happen. When I was in graduate school, I studied all the different theories and philosophies of people who over the years have tried to explain away that the resurrection wasn't humanly possible. And I read them all, studied them all, and the one that was most getting the most um, press at the time was called the swoon theory. And the swoon theory actually was made famous in a, in a book, maybe some of you have read it, called The Passover Plot, even a movie called The Passover Plot. And the essence of it is this, that the Roman executioners who were professional killers, they messed up with Jesus. That when they were crucifying Jesus, Jesus didn't really die. He just went unconscious. So that when they actually buried him, he was not dead. That's kind of the essence of the theory. These, these soldiers who were experts in the crucifixion, they, they messed up. Now, they don't really talk about all the eyewitness accounts. They don't talk about the spear going into his ribs and then into his heart, which released blood and water, indicating death. They don't talk about the four medical witnesses that had to to sign a a death certificate to Pilate. They don't talk about any of that. They don't talk about the fact that when he was buried, customary of that day, you would be buried in cloth and spices. About 100 pounds of cloth and spices would be wrapped around a dead person to prevent decay. So here we are. Jesus is entombed, wrapped in this cloth. And then the coolness of the tomb, he resuscitated. He swooned back to life. He woke up. Then he gathered enough energy. Now remember, his back had just been whipped open with all the lashes. It hung on the cross for hours. Stakes in his hands and his feet. But he was still... (laughs) Able to make his way to the boulder and somehow get the boulder that took 10 men to move out of the way. Then he was able to kill or beat up 16 of Roman's finest fighters who by penalty of death would have been killed by letting anything happen. And then he escaped. Which is maybe where we get the myth of the Easter bunny. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Friends, it takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe that he really died, that he was really buried, that he resurrected. The God-man defeated death. Okay. So What? So what? I mean, what difference does that make in your life in 2013? Well, what I want you to do, if you have your notes, just flip them over. Last service, I said flip them off. And I didn't. I don't know why. I've never done that before. The place went crazy. I didn't mean it. Maybe I was thinking of the skeptics in the crowd. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. But just flip over your outline. And we're going to talk about what, what does it mean, the resurrection, that you all got out of bed for today? that you bought new clothes for, that you're partying with friends. What does it mean 
for your life. Okay? I'll give you three things. First is this. It reveals that we are deeply, deeply loved. You know, when, when you were little, uh, you had a lot of love going your way. One of the things I love about this community is so many little kids. Okay, and you just stand there in the lobby and you watch these little kids and you see parents and grandparents doting over them. When you're little, it's, I mean, you're the best at everything, right? When you were little, everybody loved, oh, you, you look so cute. Oh, you're loud. You oh, sing. Would you sing for the crowd? Because you have the best voice. Yeah, you're the best runner. Watch her run. She is so cute. You know, nobody jumps on the trampoline better than, I mean, everything you do when you're little, you're, you're the best, and a lot of people love you. But the older you get, you make this painful discovery that there's less love out there with your name on it. And there's more criticism and conflict and you actually have to fight to prove that you have any value or, or, or worth. And in the quiet moments of your soul, if you're really honest, you begin to think, is there any love out there with my name on it? Well, the resurrection answers that by saying yes. The resurrection is God's way of drawing you to Him. As a matter of fact, before Jesus even died, he, he told some of his closest friends in John 12, he said, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. What kind of death was he going to die? A brutal one, a gross one, a horrific one. And here's what lifted up means this. Imagine the cross. The cross is lifted up from the earth. He was predicting his crucifixion. But by saying that, that cross will draw all people to me. It was a statement of his love. And see, when you read about Jesus and you study Jesus as the God-man, you want to know the character of what God is like? You look at Jesus. I would draw all people. It's It's a statement of love. Now, draw all people does not suggest a universal salvation that everybody's saved. Everybody gets a a free pass into eternity. That's not what it's saying. The actual Greek there means this. I will draw all people means this. All people without distinction. His audience was, I will draw Jews and I will draw Gentiles. I will draw all people. I will draw rich. I will draw poor. I will draw uneducated, I will draw educated. I will draw those that think they have it all together, and I will draw those that know that they're struggling. I will draw all these people because I love them. I created them to be in relationship with with me. My favorite verse, or one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Romans 5, 8. It says, take a look at the screen, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why the death had to happen. As a substitution, a payment that we couldn't make. If you had the opportunity to be here on Good Friday, you heard Jeff explain it so beautifully. If you didn't, listen to the podcast. And he explained why Jesus had to die as a payment for our sins. It was an um, unbelievable description. So clear, so beautiful. Let me summarize what the cross says. The cross says, I love you. I love you. The resurrection says, 
I have the power to love you personally and change you. So the cross says, I love you. I don't want you to suffer. I'll suffer so you don't have to suffer for all eternity. The resurrection says, I have the power to love you so much to actually change you from the inside out. So you came here today, and you are a person who is loved, passionately loved by the God of the universe, who wants a relationship with you. He loves you whether you know it or not, whether you're willing to accept it or not, whether you understand it or not. You know, on Good Friday, there was an old man who came down from for prayer, very old. He actually told the person praying for him, I think I'm going to die today. And this person praying for him, she said to him, do you, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And he said, no. And she said, well, how, how come? And here's what he said. Maybe what many of you are thinking. I know everything about my past, and I'm not worthy of his love. It's actually pretty good theology because I'm not worthy of his love, and you're not worthy of his love. But she said, that's what we just celebrated. We celebrated the death of Jesus who freed up God to now be able to love you fully. God is a relentless lover of your soul. You think you came here out of tradition. You think you came here out of obligation or invitation. God's not in heaven surprised going, oh, check out who went to church. No, okay? <laughs> that one caught me off guard. No, he used whatever means to get you to a place for you to hear, I love you. And the resurrection says he has the power for that love to change you. Second thing the resurrection means is the resurrection gives us access to God's power. This is a mind-blowing teaching of the Bible that most followers of Jesus fail to understand. I think I went way too many years before I grasped this. And, and, and we're actually going to be talking about it in this series coming up, so I'm just going to mention it briefly. But here it is. The same supernatural power that defeated death the same divine power that assisted Jesus to rise from the dead, check this out, is available to you. Okay, it's available to you. And Ephesians 1, verse 19 says this, I also pray that you will understand, that's the key, that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for who? For us who believe him. Now watch this. This is the same same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So the same power back in the Old Testament that parted the Red Sea is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that is available to me as I put my life in the hands of Jesus. That's quite the power. And that's the power that changes us. And it's available because of the resurrection. The last time I was in Mexico... I was um, asked, invited there to speak at a prison. And as I went to the prison, the warden said to me, um, hey, before we gather the guys for the, your, your message, um, I'd like to ask a favor of you. Said, Absolutely. He says, um, I'd like for you to play basketball with the guys to earn some credibility with them. I said, well, have you seen me play? Uh, you know, that, that won't help with the credibility. But I, you know, I can understand why he, you know, he'd look at me and think, Oh, American basketball player. Uh, so, 
so I'm playing basketball with these guys. And, and these guys, this, these guys are in prison for rape and murder. I mean, so they had no problem fouling hard. You know what I'm talking about? And, and they were... They were mean, and this, this prison was just, there was no hope there. It was dungy. I felt bad for them. The only, the only relief they had was a little bit of sport, and they were gangster-type-looking guys. You could just tell they had been through so much, and I was scared the whole time, and they were mean-spirited, except for one guy. And the way this guy played was he was really good, but he played with a smile on his face. He laughed and he did different things with the ball around, dribbling around guys and would tease them and he actually helped pick them up and he was breaking up five. I mean, there was just, the guy, the guy stood out so much. So after the game was over and I got up off the bench where I'd been sitting most of the time, I, <laughs> I said to him, how come you're the only one that passed me the ball? No, I, I said to him, um, what is different about you? I'm saying this through a translator. What is different about you? You stand out from everybody else. And in his broken English, he says this. Jesus, baby. It's all about Jesus. And as he said it, I just got like these tingles. It was like the Holy Spirit in me was celebrating the Holy Spirit in him. I could just, it was a light in the midst of darkness. And I said, did you enjoy this, this time together? And he looked at me, just kind of teary-eyed, and he says, no, es nada bueno. So I said to him, well, you are very handsome too. Thank you. <laughs> and I later found out he was saying, you're not very good. Uh, now, here's the deal with this guy. And I actually used him in the message in the prison because you could tell he was a light in this community. And for some of the people in there, he was the only Jesus that they ever got to see. And what I, I, I taught them is that that was because of God's power, not because of willpower. You don't change your circumstances because of your willpower. You don't, you don't rise above that condition because you've got a better diet, more vitamin C, and you watch Oprah. You know, that's not what, what changes you. There's a supernatural power that is infused into the life and the soul and the heart of a believer that is available to you and to me. That's the resurrection. So gang, if you're trying to go through life living on your own willpower and trying to change things, <laughs> that's just not enough octane to find the preferred life that Jesus has for you. Speaking of preferred life, that's the third thing that we learn from the resurrection. That the resurrection allows us the freedom to really live. To really live. You know, I, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that I do this is I try to help people see the preferred life that Jesus is calling us to. See, I think most of us in here, we, we're kind of trapped. We, we kind of wear this, this harness. And we're harnessed to a way of life. It's like one of those um, um, child bib things that you, you put them on little kids and they have bungee cords and you kind of like walk them like an animal, you know, those type of things. The thing that I used to make fun of until we had children. And then I looked at those and went, that's a great idea. <laughs> and I, my wife would never let us buy one because she was like, no, Doug, why don't you just watch our children? And I'm like, okay, that just, that's just, you know. 
It's a lot more difficult to do that. Uh, And I said, I really think our son needs one of those. And she said, he's in eighth grade. (laughs) Exactly. That's why he needs one. But then it kind of prompted this, this illustration. Track with me. Imagine this harness that you, you are harnessed to, to over here is, let's just call this your kingdom. Okay, you're harnessed to your kingdom. And in the center of your kingdom, we'll, we'll just put a porta potty. Okay, I realize that's just not awesome to think about right now, but track with me. Okay, a porta potty, for those of us over 50 who still read newspapers, outhouse is, uh, you know, the pioneer language. Uh, it's got an outhouse porta potty life over And you're kind of harnessed to it. And as you can live, you can kind of live in this harness to the porta potty outhouse, and you actually can do just fine. But there's something over there. It looks like a different kingdom. And in this different kingdom, it, it, it's got this door, and there's a light coming through this door, and there's a sound that you can hear when you're over there, and there's a sound of laughter, and actually of joy. If joy had a sound, that's what it would be. That you just sense something there, and when, when you're over here, you, you look over there every once in a while, and you just, you just want to be a part of it. it you're kind of drawn into it. It even has a scent. It's a, it's a faint scent that just triggers your senses. It's kind of like when you're, uh, uh, think Cinnabon, you know, Cinnabon. You're walking through the airport. Have you ever done that one? You're walking through the airport, and all of a sudden you get that, you know, and you're just like, ah, okay, I'll have six. And, and, you know, that's what I'm talking about, all right? There's just something over there that, that is attractive. It's a different kingdom than where you live. But here's what's happening over here. For most of us, we're kind of trapped to this world, and, and we're okay with it. I mean, we've, we've got our fine houses over here, and our fine cars, and our zip codes. And we've learned to build a career, and a family, and a way of life over here. And the reason I, I talk about a, an outhouse or a porta potty is because it has a stench to it. Because I don't know about you. Well, actually, yes, I do. My sin stinks. There's a stench to my sin, to my disobedience, to the evil that resides within me, just like, just like yours. And it's not, just, it's not just only sin over here. There's also this feeling of aloneness. There's this entrapment. This is, I, there's got to be something better than this. There's got to be something different. And there was this lure to go that way. And not that over there is, is going to be pain-free, but at least there's going to be some compassion in the midst of your hurt. And so you wonder oftentimes, in the stillness of, of your heart, would life be better over there? And the resurrection says, yes. See, the death and resurrection of Jesus does this. It breaks that harness. It frees one up to move from their kingdom to his kingdom. The death and resurrection does for me what I can't do on my own. I can't do that on my own. That's the power of Jesus. You're no longer trapped. 
And I'm not just talking about eternal life. I'm not talking about going to heaven when you die. I'm talking about living now. Okay? That's what I'm talking about in that kingdom over there. And here's the cool thing about Jesus. Is he's not forcing anyone in. He stands at the door saying, I love you. I want to empower you. And I've got a different life for you. It's not, it's not forced. And here's what I know is, I know that most people, if we were really honest, and we just get together and chat, need an eye to eye about your life, you want what's over there. I know you do. I know your heart. I've heard your prayers. Actually, not only have I heard your prayers, I've, I've read your prayers. This week in our staff meeting, Jeff took all of the prayer requests that have been on the prayer wall and he poured them out on the table. It was a great act of leadership to then say to the staff, these are the prayers of our people. Let's pray for them. And so we spent time as a staff praying for the prayers of our people. And if you don't understand that photo, these prayers were taken from the prayer wall, which is right over here to your right and some if you don't understand this sometimes people feel that it's good to write out their prayer just makes it very tangible and concrete and they go put it in prayer well it's anonymous there's no names but we spent time praying for the prayers of this community and after we were done i just gathered some of the cards and i started reading them and i just kept reading and kept reading Let me tell you what my takeaway was. Life is really messy. A lot of mess in here. Second, people feel alone in their mess. They feel really alone. Now, one and two is not surprising to me. Life is messy. People feel alone. Here's what kind of got me off guard. There is so much... So many grudges and anger and hatred and lack of forgiveness. I just read so many that I can't forgive and I hold on to this and I'm still mad about that. And, and it, just, it just broke my heart, but it describes those of us in this room. And people feel trapped. They just feel trapped. And... The life for them is not working. And I get it. Here's, here's, I think, the problem. The problem is they're trying to work their life. They're trying to fix everything. You're trying to take all that stuff on by, by yourself. And then you're praying, but you're, you're praying like this. Jesus, would you do my will? Jesus, I hear Doug talking about your power. You have the power to do my will. Jesus, do my will. Friends, I'm not an odds maker. But the odds of those prayers being answered are not good. Because Jesus didn't die on the cross to be your personal assistant. Jesus died on the cross, proved that he was God in the resurrection, invited you into a preferred life, to have a relationship with you, for you to walk with him and follow his, his ways. You see, the resurrection says this, 
your world couldn't keep me in the ground. That world that you're trapped to, it, I defeated that. And so I invite you. I invite you into something richer, more rewarding, deeper, more life and love and hope giving. Where the odds are a lot better over there. See, I think there's a good chance that the only reason some of you are here today is you just needed to hear that you're loved. You needed to hear that. You needed to hear that, that God loves you so much that the power of his resurrection gives him the power to infuse into you, to change you, transform you from the inside out. That new beginning that you desire, that fresh start, that do-over, that mulligan is available because of his power. And for you to realize that there's a preferred life. There's a preferred life waiting for those of us who are ready to walk with him. I want you to see what everything I've talked about looks like in the life of a person's story. Watch this. When I was small, my world was so unpredictable and dark. And I really got the sense early on that I was kind of on my own. And I needed to be strong, and I could only rely on myself. I grew up in this family um, that was destroyed by poverty and addiction and domestic violence. I do have some pretty tough memories of my dad punching my mom in the face and breaking her nose and of him smashing a beer bottle over my head in a drunken rage. There were times that we didn't have enough money for food and other times that we didn't have a place to sleep. But I had a plan. I had it in my head that if I could do all of the things that society tells us that we need to do to be successful and fulfilled, then I would be happy and everything would be perfect. So I went to college, I went to law school, I built this life to have a beautiful home and a beautiful family. And from the outside, I had done it. My plan worked, I had fixed myself. But on the inside, I was still broken. Late one night, I was having this abdominal pain and it was getting worse. And everyone in my family was asleep. And I was thinking, do I wanna wake my husband? What am I gonna do? And I randomly reached out to God in a bargaining prayer. I promised him that if he would take away my pain, then I would read the Bible and learn about him and Jesus. It was sort of an odd thing for me to say, but about 10 minutes after I said that prayer, my pain was gone. When I said that prayer, the only thing I was contemplating was physical healing, but really God knew that I needed more than that, and he planned to heal me emotionally and spiritually as well. As I started to trust God, he led me over the period of about six weeks to this really difficult time of forgiveness. So about that same time, I received an email from my dad, who I had not spoken to or had any communication with in decades. And I knew this was God's timing. He was basically asking for forgiveness, and I did not want to forgive him. I will be honest, it was not what I wanted to do, but I wanted to be obedient to God. So I really wrestled with this. And I remember I was in this hotel room And I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to forgive my dad. And I typed this letter, and it it was mean. And I read it, and I thought, this is not what God had in mind. I know it. And so I had this moment where I just really got real with God. I said, I cannot do this without you. I will not be able to forgive him if you don't help me. 
and he was faithful as I stepped out in obedience and faith. He changed my heart. He came in and he took away all the pain and the bitterness that I had and he replaced it with hope and with love. And I didn't hold any grudge. There was no, there was no resentment there. And now um, my dad and I, we email each other every week. And he's become a Christian too. It's just been this beautiful story that I know God is writing in my life. Did you hear those last words? It's a beautiful story that I know God is writing in my life. See, she described in her brief story everything that I've been talking about. Her world was dark. She had pain. She tried to fix her world. She had a plan. Her plan even worked. And then she said, that plan wasn't it. Then she turns to Jesus and says, I can't do this without you. She says, he changed my, my heart. And do you hear those words? took out my grudges and gave me hope. That's the Easter story. And I get a sense that God is writing a new story in some of your hearts. And some of you today just need to be courageous and step forward and say, what you're talking about, Doug, I want it. I'm ready. I'm ready to leave that life behind. I'm ready to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And there's no magical prayer, no, no spell. You don't have to fill out forms or go to a class or meet with a guidance counselor or, you know, show ID. You, you just need to, you need to lean in to Jesus and courageously say that love that he's talking about, I want that. What are the chances with six billion people on this playground that we call earth that God's love has your name on it. Chances are one to one that he, he does. So choose that. There are some of you that have already chosen that. You've accepted the fact in your past that the death on the cross and the resurrection paid for your, your freedom, your bondage from that life. And you began to walk this way. Only in the freedom to choose only to choose to go back. And you've entrapped yourself in that way of life. And may Easter 2013 be a time where you come back, return, welcome home. He's waiting with his love, with his power, and with that preferred life. Friends, this Easter, play the odds. Play the odds and win. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for beating the odds. Thank you for your sacrifice that leads to that preferred life. You know the hearts of every person here. They're your people. May they sense your love today. May they tap into your power. May they live the life that you want for them. As we celebrate that you have risen from the dead. We pray in Jesus' name.